Have any of you ever read the book, The Wind in the Willows? Anybody ever read this? <clears throat> it's about a mole, like the kind of mole that lives in the ground, maybe in your yard. And um, this mole goes on this journey and one day he pops out of the ground and he's at the edge of a river and he's never seen a river before. It's amazing. It's this infinite water in front of him, never seen anything like that. And he's just sitting there watching the river and all of a sudden this little river rat pops his head out of the water. And he swims over to the mole and they start having this conversation. The mole's asking the river rat all about the river. He's never seen a river. He can't imagine what, what magic and wonders the river holds. And so he's asking him all about the river and the river rat, <clears throat> asking the river rat this. And finally he says to the river rat, the mole does, he says, and you really live by the river? What a jolly life that must be. And the rat says, oh, by it and with it and on it and in it. It's my world and I don't want any other. What it hasn't got is not worth having. And what it doesn't know is not worth knowing. And I love that. I love that story because it makes it really clear that like to appreciate something takes time. It takes living in that water for a while before you come to appreciate just how special this place is, how good this thing is. And I'm thinking about that story this morning because uh, it, it seems like a good story for Baby Blessing Sunday. It's about a talking mole and a river rat. So this is like, you know, classic children's literature here. <clears throat> but I'm also thinking about it because as we look at those babies on stage, we're not only thinking about today, the day that we as a church bless them and commission them to pray over their faith, we're also thinking about the day when they will choose this faith for themselves. And we're not only thinking about that day, we're thinking about every day that's gonna lead up to, to that day. And then most importantly, maybe every day that's gonna follow that day. Because our desire is that they would be faithful, not only now, not only at the start, but forever. Now think about what Paul says in 2 Timothy, you remember this, he says about himself, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. Remember that? Uh, my, my wife, Lindsay, was a runner in high school. She was a sprinter in track, and she'll tell you she hated starts. She hate, hated getting in the starting block. It made her nauseous, anxious. She had to convince herself to not even think about the start. And she would say to herself, it's a long race. It's a long race. And she was fast. She won most of them. She thinks she's faster than me, but for her sake, we don't race. <laughs> for her sake, right? Uh, it's a long, it's a long race. And so as we look at these babies that, that you saw up here, we're not just thinking about how they start. What are we thinking about? How they're gonna end. Think about the rest of their lives. And that's our job. Come with me to Acts chapter 11. We're in this series in the book of Acts. Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. So if you're new to church and it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and it's the story of the early church. It's going to be up on the screen. We're going to skip a couple chapters for today. We'll come back to them over the next few weeks. But as I was thinking about Baby Blessing Sunday, I was struck by this passage about Barnabas. Barnabas comes to Antioch, and in Antioch, there are these, what we might call baby Christians. We talked about this last week with Simon. Um, brand new Christians, new to the faith, and so they're Gentile Christians. Gospel's finally gone into Gentile territory, not Jew anymore. 
And so Barnabas is sent to check this out, see what's going on. And I want you to see what happens. Look at this. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, this is in Antioch, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He was a good man. One writer who was writing about this passage, he paraphrased what you see there on the screen. This is how he paraphrased it. That's a good start. Now hold steady. That's a good start. Hold steady. Uh, Barnabas is the only guy in the book of Acts, the only guy then in the history of the early church who's called good, who we know him as a good man. And you and I know, and I've, I've shared this before, how important that word good is in the larger biblical story. Anytime we see that word good, it really harkens all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible story when God creates the garden and the world and he creates it exactly how he wants it. So everything is aligned with how he has designed it to be. And when that's the case, God calls it what? You remember? Good. So when something or someone is aligned with God's will for them, they're good. And Barnabas has tapped into that. He's figured out the thing that God wants him to do. And what we might argue is what God wants everybody to do. And it's to encourage. But in this passage, encourage doesn't just mean to make you feel good. What the word actually means is to urge somebody, to implore somebody, to beg them, to impress upon them. And what's he encouraging them? It's one thing. Stick with it. Remain true to the Lord with all your heart. And what's notable about this is this is not the only time that Barnabas goes to Antioch to encourage them to do this very thing. Look with me, three chapters later, this is Acts chapter 14. Barnabas and Paul returned to Lystra, Iconium, and where? Antioch, strengthening the disciples and what? Encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Does that look familiar to you? We're going to talk about that last verse here in a second. What he realizes is that this good design that God has given him to encourage believers to stick with it and to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts for all of their lives, that good design that he has tapped into from God for him is not something he does once. It's something he has to do over and over again. I mentioned Kathy Ivey earlier. Bill, her husband, one of our shepherds here, sends out an email that's almost daily. He's got an email list. Some of you may be on this Bill Ivey email list where he just collects encouraging passages from authors, writers, biblical passages. Sometimes he writes them himself. And he just sends them out to everybody on this email list, hundreds of people every single day, just wants to encourage them in their faith. And one thing I noticed was he's been in the hospital the last few days from Kathy and I've still gotten an email from Bill Ivey every single morning encouraging me and my faith. Now, here's what I know. I've been up there to the hospital. I know that Bill doesn't have his laptop in the hospital. He's not working on those emails. He has scheduled those emails in advance to go out so that people don't stop being encouraged. And it occurred to me the other day that years from now, I hope, when Bill goes on to glory, that for months, hundreds of us are going to be getting encouraging emails from him still. Now, think about that. What he realizes is like, if your calling is to encourage people to stick with it, it's not something you do once, it's something you keep doing. 
why. If you would throw that passage back up on the screen, the one we just had, let's look at this. The why is in that, the last sentence there. He encouraged them to remain true to the faith. Why? Because we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. What do they know? Life is going to get hard. And we think about those little babies up here, like the hardest thing right now is when their passy falls on the dirty ground, right? or they can't find their bee or their lovey. But it will get very, very hard in this life. My favorite book that I've read over the last 10 years that wasn't by C.S. Lewis, um, wasn't a Christian book or a missionary biography, is a book called The Emerald Mile. And it tells the story in 1983 of the Grand Canyon. The Colorado River was at flood stage. The Colorado River runs through the Grand Canyon, and it was pumping out of the dam at levels faster and harder than it ever had before. So the river was higher than it had ever been, moving faster than it had ever moved. Somebody described it as angry chocolate milk is what it looked like. You know, these terrible rapids, one after another, dark and muddy. And so there was these three river raft guides who even though all river traffic had been called off, it was illegal to be on the river because it was too dangerous. These guys had the idea that they were going to set the speed record through the Grand Canyon when the water was moving faster than it had ever moved before. Sounds like a good idea. And so they set off in this little wooden boat under the cover of night because it's illegal what they're doing. And they're blasting through the rapids, but they come to this one that pins them in an eddy and one of the guys goes under. And they can't find him for what feels like an eternity. And finally, the water releases him. He makes it to the side. He nearly drowned in the water. They're there. They pull their boat up to the side. They have to do some patching on the boat. They're breathing heavily. They're soaking wet. And then the moment comes where they have to decide, do we get back in the water and keep going? Because it gets hard. So that image of chaotic waters is an image that the Bible uses, both Old and New Testaments, to talk about our lives. That our lives are much like a chaotic river. It is not smooth sailing in this life, is it? It's not. You may remember this passage from Ephesians. This is our, one of our theme passages for our vision of building up the next generation. It says it like this, calls us to building up the the faith, so look at this, so that the body of Christ may be built up. The church, the church is given leaders for that purpose. Okay. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. I, think about those babies here that you just saw. What do we want? For them to become mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, but then pay attention why. Then we'll no longer be infants who were tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Man, that passage is on my mind this morning as we think about those babies we just, we just blessed, not only because it imagines or it pictures what it's like for somebody to grow up in the faith, but it also acknowledges the reality it will be very hard. In the context of their life of faith, the context that they are growing up in, trying to remain true to the Lord on is, well, it's turbulent waters. It'll be hard. 
There's this scene in John chapter 6. Jesus tells his disciples that he's the bread of life. You remember this? He tells them that he's the bread of life and whoever wants to live must eat of him. They must be nourished only by him. He's got to be enough for them. And this is a little weird to some of the disciples. They don't understand this. This sounds like too much to others. And we're told it's the first time that a great number of the disciples leave Jesus at that point. They leave him when he says, I've got to be enough for you. They leave him. One author who was writing about that passage, he said, this is the moment they go from saying, this is our king to this is too hard. This is our king to this is too hard. And so Jesus looks at the apostles, though, and he says to him, this is John chapter 6, verse 67, he says, you don't, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and come to know it's a process. We have come to believe and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. It's that river wrap moment, isn't it? Like it's only in living in this thing for a long time that I finally come to realize that what you are offering isn't worth having. I only want you. I don't want anything else. So I'm going to choose you. I have a young man who's, who's come to Highland recently. He was telling, telling me a bit of his story recently. He kind of grew up with some people forming him and blessing him in the faith, but he had drifted from that for a while, but something had got his attention and he felt like this is where he needed to come back to. So he's been coming back to Highland and he told me that he's choosing this for himself. This is his now. And that's what we want, isn't it? In the early church, there were a number of symbols that became really important to the early Christians. And so one of those symbols is the cross. Maybe you're wearing a cross around your neck today, but that actually wasn't the first symbol that became really important to the early church. That symbol was kind of shameful for a long time. This is how a criminal dies. So before that, there were two other symbols that we see in Christian imagery of the time. One of those is a fish, and maybe you've seen that, and there's a story behind that, but the other is the anchor. This became one of the most important images. In fact, in the, the catacombs where um, many, many early Christians, many of them who were persecuted, even martyred, were buried in the catacombs, on many of their tombs, we have these inscriptions. These are from catacomb tombs, anchors. And the reason we think that symbol is important to the early church is, one, it's biblical. It comes from Hebrews where we read that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's talking about what we have in Jesus Christ. In a world of turbulent waters, we need an anchor. And so one of the reasons they latch onto this symbol is it's biblical. The other two is you may notice at the top of the anchor, it looks like what? A cross. You see that? Probably one of the reasons. But probably the last reason, and maybe the most important reason they latched onto this symbol was because there's an interesting wordplay in Greek, and you don't have to remember this, but anchoros is spelled almost exactly the same as in kurios, which means in the Lord. 
And the idea here, you think, the idea is, think about this, on their tombs, what are they declaring? That they died still in the Lord. That the one who had been their anchor in life's turbulent waters was their anchor in death, and they went into death still in the Lord. May I remember when Jesus calls his disciples, what does he call them to? To be with me. That's it. To be with me. It's a long race. It's not enough to start well. You got to finish well. John Eldridge wrote this great book that I, I read growing up. It's called Wild at Heart. And uh, it's a good book. We won't talk about that. But he says a line that I've never forgotten. He says, the main and mighty victory is staying true to God. It's maintaining a mature perspective where God, this is what maturity is, where God means everything to you, both through glorious breakthrough and in the midst of terrible affliction. If you do not hold fast to this, he says, you will be shaken. Um, on Fridays, I get donuts for the boys, and every Friday, and uh, we do, when I get back with the donuts, we do donuts and discipleship with dad, donuts and discipleship with dad, because it's alliteration, you know it's holy, so really holy things happening there. <clears throat> and uh, we've been in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 for a while, because 2 Timothy 2, 1 has these awesome images for little boys, it talks about being a good soldier for Jesus Christ about being an athlete, competing by the rules, about being a farmer. It's all these like great images that resonate with my little boys. So we've been in 2 Timothy 2, 1 for a second. But the main reason we've been there is it starts like this. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in it. Be strong in it. The other day, we were in here in worship, and my boys were sitting here on the front row with Lindsay and I, and I had one of my boys in my lap, and my middle son, Foster, was sitting beside me right here, and I look over out of the corner of my eye, and we're singing, Brishan's leading worship with the team up here, and I look over, and Foster has raised his hand, not to ask a question, like the, the worshipful raising of a hand, and uh, I'm instantly in tears, instantly, okay. and, uh, but I can tell he's not sure about it. You know, he's seen people do this before, and so he's just going to kind of try it out. He's going to see how this feels. You know, he's kind of like looking at his hand. He's looking around a little bit. He's just trying it out. And so what do I do? I throw my hand up. And um, not because I was necessarily feeling it at that moment, although I often am, but because I wasn't going to leave him hanging. You know, and I, th I think about that. Like, that is... The function and nature and the calling of the church is to not leave them hanging. You know that we're called to, what we are called to as the body of Christ, what is good by God's design is that we would encourage these people, young people, not just to start well, but to finish well. And to remain true to the Lord with all of their heart, to be strong their whole lives in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's why I need you for my sons. Now, I think about the people that they're growing up around, the people that are influencing them. I think about Miss Beverly Midyet. 
Miss Beverly Minyet, this sweet sister and saint of this church, you know that she's been dealing with a battle with cancer, and she's faced it with so much grace and strength. And I have this memory not long ago of my boys playing hide and seek with her and her family in her backyard and her blessing my boys. And like, that's what I want. I want somebody who is showing them, right? It's not just enough to start well, you got to stay well. We're not just thinking about how you start, we're thinking about how you finish. And we want you to finish in the Lord. That's how we want them to finish. And so these young people, these ones we blessed up here today, the reason their families have them here, even though it's hard, even though they didn't get any sleep that night, right? Even though they were probably changing a diaper right before they walked up here. There's a hilarious story I'll tell you sometime of somebody had a baby blessing, a dad whose kid went to the restroom while he was up there, right? It's hard, but they have them here because they want you encouraging them to stick with it. They desperately want somebody besides mom and dad who is telling them, you, my son, my daughter, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And so let me, let me end here with two things. The, the first is that you'll remember as part of our vision to build up the next generation, that's what we're talking about today, we are endeavoring to raise up 200 disciple makers to help us make young people into disciples of Christ. And that is starting in the next three weeks. And so if you feel maybe God is calling you on your heart to be a Barnabas or a Paul, for somebody, maybe not even one of your own children, but you want to be somebody who encourages organic people to remain true to the faith, will you let me know? You can email me, you can call the church office, and I'll communicate with you more details. And you'll hear more about that over the next few weeks. But if that's on your heart this morning, as you've listened to this, let me know. We need you. But lastly, I want to end with this, and that is that as significant and important as the faith of our young people is, their faith to Christ over the long haul, make no mistake, what is more important is the faithfulness of Christ towards them and towards you and me. And I want to end with these words. This is from a French liturgy that they pray over babies born in their churches. And it was so good, I wanted to finish with it. They say this, For you, little child, Jesus Christ has come. He has fought and he has suffered. For you, he entered the shadow of Gethsemane and the horror of Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, It is finished. For you, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And there he intercedes for you, little child, even though you do not know it yet. But in this way, the word of the gospel becomes true. We love him because he first loved us. Amen? Let me pray over you. God, would you raise up here a coalition, an army of those devoted, God, to building up the next generation in faith. That we can say with confidence that they have remained true to you their whole lives. That they have not only started well here, but they have finished well in you. That's our prayer, Lord. May it be to your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.